1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hey, everybody. Jared Van Heese here with the Habitat Podcast. Coming at you on a nice Thursday night. Have my co-host, Jesse B-Roll Burnham. What's going on, dude? Hey, hey. What's <laughs> happening? Oh. I like... I just took a sip of beer, sorry. Not much. Just uh, waiting for you. I like I like uh, how you use my nickname. I haven't heard that in a few weeks. What B-roll? <laughs> you should uh, <laughs> you should tell everybody why we call you B-roll. Well, apparently it took me a few years to get my uh, first archery kill on film, and uh, we've been at the filming game for quite a few years. So every year we start editing video and. All I had was a lot of B-roll, no, no, no kills. So everyone else had their kills, and they came to me for B-roll. You know, I had some good squirrels action on there, and nice, nice scenery, sunsets. Hey, so, you had yeah. a, you had a, some killer squirrel action. I I can't deny that. Squirrel and raccoons, man, they were my forte. And even uh, you had cattle that one year. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, in Ohio. I'll take it, man. It's, yeah. it's all fun. It's nature. Yup, yup. No, that's cool. Hey, we need B-roll. You know that, so. Yeah, it's important. It's important. People make a living shooting it, so. <laughs> Not, Not us. me, though. Not us. Yeah. So, well, it is a uh, late March. You've been doing any Habitat stuff? Thinking about it? Still thinking about it. Um, I'm actually heading up north uh, the weekend of Easter, and uh, hopefully my cousin's bringing his machine up there. We're going to start cutting some pass. Okay. But, um, you got a date, though, huh? Man, Easter. Yeah. Yeah. My, ever, all the family's out of town, so we're going to shoot up there with the kid and have some fun. Um, but uh, no, not really. It's It's been crazy at work. It's our busy time um, in the automotive industry right now, so... Uh, just just been grinding over here. Okay, cool, man. What about you? I uh, it hasn't been that long since we did our last podcast, but I've actually done some habitat stuff. I um, frost seeded my other food plot yesterday with some clover and chicory. Um, okay. It's amazing how you just go out there. Literally twenty minutes, I'm done. I mean, it's the simplest oh, thing in yeah, the world. Yeah, easy. And then I. Uh, the girls, we've been picking up acorns. We've been walking around here 
in the evenings when it's nicer and like warmer. Girls have been collecting acorns, so shoot, we uh, we've been testing them and getting them ready, and we actually planted uh, 30 of them tonight, red oak acorns. So they're just in pots oh, right nice. now. Yeah, you know, teaching them how to be arborists, and uh, I think that's the correct term. And uh, maybe that's when they cut trees down. I think that might be when they cut <laughs> trees down. You shouldn't be gardeners and, uh, you know, just trying to instill a little green thumb in them. So. Very good, very good. But other so, than uh, that, just, uh, you know, waiting for spring. I like it. So who do we got on today? Who's our guest? This gentleman goes by the name of Brian Hallbly out of PA. Um, PA boy, huh? Yeah, yep. So, you know what? I don't want to spoil anything. Let's just get him on. All right, let's do it. Ghost Rider, can you hear me? I can hear you. Jesse, can you hear me? Can you? I check. I'm here, boys. What's up, Brian? What's going on, buddy? I'm already recording. Do you want to uh, roll with it, or do you want to do some testing first? Oh, I'm ready when you guys are. All right, cool. Well, yeah, we just did a quick little intro. Um, I was right at the part where I was about to tell him everything about you, and I said, eh, let's let Brian do it. <laughs> I can probably handle that. All right, buddy, tear it up. Yeah, my name's Brian Hallbarn from uh, southwest Pennsylvania, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Home of the Stanley Cup champions for the last two years, by the way, for Michigan. Hey, oh, hey, geez. hey. So Here we go. <laughs> easy. All right, hang the – all right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> He's been holding on to that one for a minute. Yeah, yeah. I had to that in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I uh, grew up here my whole life. Uh, my dad took me camping and fishing since I can remember, and then uh, as I got older, I started tagging along on some hunting trips, but you had to be – 12 years old back in those days to get a PA hunting license, so I had to wait until I was 12 to actually do any hunting. Same but, here. Uh, yeah, they changed that a lot now. Is it still that way in Michigan? No, I think they changed it as well. Um, I haven't had to try it yet, but we were also uh, 12 years old with a bow. was your first thing you could do. Uh, as far as I remember. A lot of, I think they have a lot of mentored youth hunts now and Different different youth licenses in all the states now, or most of the states, I should say. Of course, I say that, but Pennsylvania, we still can't hunt on Sundays, which is a little bit crazy. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> that's my favorite day to hunt. No doubt. That's why I have a farm in Ohio. <laughs> so, so what do you do for a living, Brian? I'm sorry. What do you do for a living? I am a police officer. I've been a uh, police officer here in a little town outside of Pittsburgh for the last 21 years, and I've been a sergeant here for the last 10 years. Awesome. So yeah, we thank you for your service, you buddy. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. And that also tells me you probably get access to a lot of hunting property with that nice badge of yours. I know the officers around us, they always they always gobble up the good property. They deserve it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that seems to go a long way, especially in uh, <laughs> rural places like where I'm working. Um, 
fortunately, most of the country still likes the police, unlike what you see on the news a lot of times. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're pretty welcoming, and they, they, they know they can trust us, and we're going to take care of their place if we get access. That's awesome. So, Brian, we brought you on this podcast. Um, you know a little bit about the podcast already. We are basically, uh, you know, a couple guys who want to become better habitat managers. Um, we figure what better way to do it than interview guys like you who know a lot more than we do. So, I know I'm teeing it up here for you, but let's uh, let's chat. What do you want to cover first? Well, since you guys are uh, starting out, I guess we could get into a little bit of that. Uh, that's always uh, a good topic. People starting out always have lots of questions on equipment and, you know, how you get started, how you set things up so we can get on that road. All right. Well, actually, right when you said that, I thought, let's hear about maybe where you do your habitat work, um, how you came about your property real quick so we kind of can paint a picture. Okay. Let's back it up to um, – 2007, I got to a point in my life where uh, I had a couple of kids and uh, got the family going pretty good, got got us a nice house and started saving some money and having a little bit extra uh, disposable income. And I uh, started a hunting magazine called The Bowyer's Journal, which I ran for about four years, and a publisher from Wisconsin ended up oh, wow. uh, making me an offer and I've gotten to the point where I had about 3,000 subscribers in, like, 35 countries. And I was either going to have to grow real fast or turn it over to somebody that actually knew what they were doing. So I figured (laughs) I might as well cut and run. (laughs) But uh, that that afforded me the opportunity to purchase 25 acres in uh, Guernsey County, Ohio, which is just about straight west of Pittsburgh where I'm at. And uh, after about, oh, how long did I have that? 2007, I bought that, and I sold it in 2011. And uh, Marcella Shale was just getting crazy around here, and property values were going up and up and up and up, and I had the mineral rights. So I was able to take my initial investment and do very well, resold it, and then uh, picked up a 40-acre piece up in northeast Ohio, up in Ashtabula County. Okay, so you've always been or had your eyes set on Ohio. Now, is that for habitat purposes, hunting purposes? I may already know the answer, but what was your direction for that? Yeah, a a mixture of everything, actually. I started to get a lot of pressure around the suburbs here of Pittsburgh as uh, hunting got more and more popular, and uh, a lot of the good farms that I had access to, you know, the farmers are all good people, and they're people ask for permission, and they do some help, and they're like, okay, yeah, you can hunt. Next thing you know, you know, you're sitting in your tree stand for two hours before sunlight on, on a cold November morning, and like an hour after sunrise, somebody comes walking through with a crossbow, and you're like, oh, man. So oh, yeah. after getting encroached on a bunch of times, it's like, well, I'd like to start looking elsewhere. And then working full-time, you know, not being able to hunt on Sundays, and that, that loses a day every week for the season. And I uh, started talking to a friend of mine that had a farm in uh, Harrison County, Ohio. 
and he invited me out to hunt, and that was it. I was hooked immediately. I mean, just just incredible, just across the Ohio River, and the difference in the in the uh, whitetails out there with their size and less people hunting them and more food for them. And I knew right then I'm gonna own some property someday. Oh, that's awesome. And how far of a a drive is it for you right now to your property? Well, the 25 acres was an hour and a half, and that's exactly what the 40 acres is, too. That was about my my limit that I wanted to go. Yep. And, uh, you know, the price range. not bad at all. No, you get no. used to that. I no. mean, you get used to that drive. Absolutely. It's uh, it's not terrible at all. I've got buddies that got places a lot further, and they, they tell me, hey, i got to go up to camp and cut the grass, and it's like an eight-hour round trip for them. It's like, wow. <laughs> Well, well, hey, we we drive five six hours to go to Ohio, so <laughs> well, yeah, we're all the way down to the southern end of it. Um, but you're sure. up in the northeast area. Yeah, yeah, not really known for uh, big buck country, but uh, it's all corn and soybeans where I'm at. I've probably got on my road. Geez, there's got to be thousands of acres of corn and soybeans and woodlots around me. And, it's just perfect habitat. I mean, it's it's not really known. We're not pumping out the, the Boone and Crockett's up there, but they're there. We get pictures of them. They get hit by cars. Every once in a while, somebody gets lucky to take yeah. one. But, uh, yeah, less less people hunting them, lots lots more space and lots more food. No, I mean, shoot, Boone and Crockett, and that, those are huge compared to, you know, the Michigan deer that, that we hunt. So even even if it wasn't a – Booner area, you know, I'm sure it'd be something. Even like you, you know, Pennsylvania boy, I'm sure it's a huge difference. So, absolutely. I mean, that's awesome. And these guys, these guys talk about these 200 inch numbers, and I, I, I can't even relate. It's like if I can kill a 130, 140 every year for the rest of my life, I'm happy as can be. <laughs> Heck yeah. And not, nothing against it's guys amen. that do that. I mean, absolutely nothing against guys that do that. Oh, it's, of course. It's a great, it's a great thing that they've advanced in their mature buck hunting that they can pursue animals like that but that's where i'm at yeah same here definitely uh would love to have a chance to chase something like that pretty pretty jealous of the guys that do that's pretty cool definitely i got to see my uh first 150 class deer in ohio actually the last two years and i basically almost fell out of the tree because i'm not used to seeing anything (laughs) over 120 130 down here and Man, I was the blood so hard. Oh man, it, it's it's incredible. Yeah, the, the first time he, your first one, Jesse. I was in the tree up on top of the the holler up there, and you were down on the bottom. And he calls me, and he's like, he couldn't even understand what he was saying. Dude, dude, dude. I'm like, what, Jess? Oh, Jess, big buck. I mean, finally spit it out. It was hilarious. I said, you get though, guys like us. Yep. No doubt. So, all right, well, I got the picture painted, uh, or now or you have it painted for me in my mind. You're you're in Ohio, northeast. You bought 40 acres. You said, what's this 40 look like? It's uh, relatively flat. I think there's only about a 12 to 15-foot change of elevation across the whole farm, which is a big change for me. I mean, <laughs> southwest Pennsylvania, we've got foothills of the Appalachians, and I'm used to setting up on funnels and waiting for the deer to come through that way, so... I'm still learning, but that's that's the great thing about habitat management. Not only can you provide the food, but you can also manipulate the landscape with fences and gates and things like that. Okay. And your 
property now is pretty flat. You have some, or what would your percentage be from like uh, tillable acreage to standing timber, or, or maybe fallow fields I've, or something like that? I've got about uh, a little over ten acres on the road that's tillable, and then there's a like a twenty-acre block of timber behind it, and then a five-acre field, and then the balance is like. Uh, scrub and, and thick area in the very back like um, I don't know what you guys would call them up that way slashings or uh, clear cut that's that's grown back in the last five or ten years yeah yep yeah, so we got a pretty good pretty good diverse uh, section of, of ground there between open open timber open tillable and then uh, some sanctuary areas that you can't even walk through oh perfect all right, well, so you got this this property. Uh, did you have equipment? I guess let's let's dive into uh, you know how you got started with equipment wise. I mean, something we've always wondered and and are starting to finally figure out is how to you know turn dirt on a budget and and figure this all out. So how'd you start? Yeah, definitely. I uh, like just about everybody else. You know, a lot of a lot of uh, sweat equity. With uh, rakes and backpack sprayers. That's that's how it all started. You go in there and spray out an area. Come back in a couple of weeks, rake out as big a spot as you can, and uh, lots of clovers and and rye and easy things like that to, from the beginning. Even uh, you know a lot of the brassicas are pretty easy throw and grow as long as you get plenty of soil exposed. Okay, but, uh, so you go in there and you'd spray the existing vegetation, rake it all out to get the bare, bare dirt, and then you'd spread a, a smaller type seed that would be uh, easy to make sure you got that contact with the dirt? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and did and, that uh, work for you? It did, it did. I had a lot of uh, success early on, which was good and bad. I mean, it was good to see the green stuff come up and the deer eating it, but then you think, oh, okay, this is easy. Well, you figure <laughs> out that's, that's not right real quick. Especially... Uh, you know, when you have early success and you think, well, I didn't do a soil test there, so maybe I'll skip the soil test on the next one. And that's that's a big mistake also. Yeah. Okay. I was just, just going to ask that, you know, did you do any soil testing? Because I know when I started out with the food plots, kind of the raking, throw and grow, I didn't test any soil. I mean, if the deer ate it, great. If they didn't, well, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> right, right. I think a lot of people are like that. I mean – I still talk to guys who put in food plots that don't test the soil. And, yeah. You know, how did your soil look from your first test? Well, you on my, uh, yes, on my first farm, it, it was uh, a creek bottom. The 25 acres had a creek coming through it, so it was it was really acidic. So I needed a lot of lime to get up. Now, there was a few pockets that were okay. But down around the, the creek bottom and, and where a lot of the water would lay in the early spring, it would be uh, pretty acidic and required a lot of lime. Okay. And is that on the 40? How'd that turn out? How was your soil up there? It's pretty good because the uh, tillable was uh, up until, in fact, up until last year, I had a farmer that was leasing the uh, tillable with me and. Um, he kept it lined and kept uh, – he grew nothing but soybeans for the last three years. So the soil's really good up front. 
out back there was some corn stubble when I bought it, so uh, it appeared to be good soil. But, you know, I'm not sure if you guys are real familiar with corn, how much that sucks everything out of the ground. Uh, that was a little bit low on the pH side, so I had to lime that also. You know, and and, and that makes a lot of sense because at one of the farms we hunt here in Fowlerville, Michigan, the farmer has been leaving us some area for food plots, and we just don't get – we get okay growth, but we haven't tested, tested the pH because we always get there late. Um, and then talking with the homeowner, you know, they, they planted a garden right off the field. They took an acre away off the field, and she did it. And the pH was horrible, and the nutrients were horrible, and the corn just sucked everything right out of it. Yeah, that's incredible. It's that, That's one of the most difficult things to plant. In fact, I still struggle with it. But uh, I'm getting better and better every year. Hopefully this year I'll have a nice stand of it. Okay, so yeah, it's. Uh, I'll go ahead, Jeff. I've heard it. I've heard it's difficult. And I was gonna. <laughs> one year at my old house, I had a random corn stalk grow next to my driveway, and I'm sure a raccoon took a dump, <laughs> and <laughs> it just grew. And I'm thinking, man, guys try to plant this and grow it. But here it is next to my driveway that just perfect stock grows, produces <laughs> produces corn. And I've seen it under bird feeders, too, sprout. Yeah. Come on, I can't even get it to grow where I need it to grow. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I chew sunflower seeds when I hunt and just put it on the ground. <laughs> okay, so you, you got through with the backpack sprayer, and uh, then what happened? So, I mean... Did you have a an ATV next, or did you uh, go full out tractor, or or I guess what? You were got you? a home equity loan. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. Uh, I had a uh, Sears Craftsman uh, lawn tractor here at the house for cutting the yard. I have the same one, I think. <laughs> and and I thought, boy, I'm just putting in these little eighth acre, quarter acre plots. Why can't I just take this up there and drag a chain piece of chain link fence behind it or or uh put something put some weight on there to just to scratch up the soil instead of yeah. trying to rake rake all this stuff off so I, I moved to that next level with that and uh that turned into um a company called dr they make all kinds of like power equipment i don't know if you guys are familiar with them oh heck yeah That's so cool. they had uh yeah late night infomercial they're always yeah. on right like, right <laughs> So they had a little combo garden tiller that had a tiller, a calder packer, and a spreader all in one. And it was just a little three-foot wide thing that you could pull with a lawn tractor. And it wasn't terribly expensive. And I thought, boy, that'll do the job. And I'll tell you what, with that little craftsman tractor, and I mean, these guys on TV planting these hundreds of acres would probably get a good chuckle out of it. But I got some good food plots out of it for years. <laughs> Really? How many years do you think you used that bad boy? Oh, uh, that's all I had up until I sold the first farm. Oh, okay. It's, uh, yeah, and it, it did the job because I wasn't putting in anything giant. Like I said, it was a creek bottom, and the only food plots I had were the stuff that I carved out or the little openings in the timber that I could find. And then uh, when I made the move to the bigger place, I thought, well, I'm going to be putting in four or five acres of food plots. I don't have the time to be messing around with this little stuff. Yeah, that's true. And yep. that led to? 
uh, doing a lot of shopping for, you know, a 20 horsepower tractor, uh, which isn't a huge tractor, but it's, you know, big enough. It's got a three point hitch and you could pull a four or five foot brush hog and some other attachments. I ended up finding a, uh, 1983 John Deere, and uh, got a really good deal on it. It's a three-cylinder. I think I paid about $5,000 for it at the time. And uh, Perfect. Yeah, the guy kept it in his barn, and it's in really good shape, and that thing will sit all winter in my pool barn up in Ohio, and it'll fire up every spring when I climb in it. Oh, that's awesome. That's a it's got some years on it. Did you have to worry about um, the age at all on it? Or I don't know anything about tractors, so maybe you're like, no, they're fine. And I, I don't no, know. I don't what... know. I don't know how familiar you guys are with diesel engines, but they're the way that they're designed and, and the fuel. Uh, it's not as hard on a piece of equipment like with the ethanol and everything else we're using today, gasoline engines. Yep. And uh, they just seem to be better lubricated. They seem to run. Uh, a lot uh, at, a, at like a lower gear where they're not getting beat up like a gas-fired machine will. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you got to worry about uh, making sure somebody took care of it. You could tell, you know, and that's that's all I do every year is I change the oil. I keep everything greased. And uh, occasionally you'll see, like, hydraulic hoses that need change because they'll dry rot okay. and, yeah. uh, and tires and things like that. But yeah, for the most part, as long as somebody didn't abuse it or neglect it, those diesel engines will usually run forever. Well, and I know a lot of guys have training issues, um, but then again, it's like you said, you, you find the right tractor that wasn't used and abused, which, you know, I look on Craigslist and different sites all the time because it's hard to find that nice $5,000 tractor because, you know, I don't have 20000 laying around to go spend on a new tractor right now. I hear you. I hear you on that. It's hard to scrape up five when you're, Trying to buy seed and fertilizer and build cabins and everything else too. Pay property tax. Yeah, yeah. we're all on the same boat there. Yeah, and that's and, and that's exactly why we're uh, talking with guys like you, you know, because it's everyone sees this persona on TV and these guys in these huge tractors and doing these food plots. And it's like, man, that's not real life. Right. No, it is for a couple of people. Yeah, 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 yeah that's the lucky ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I said, nothing against them, but the rest of us are, you know. No, absolutely I mean, not. No, but uh, we've been dragging. Up a good point. Yeah, exactly. That's not that's not the reality for everybody, and it, you know, there's there's tens of thousands of us scraping by for everyone that's in a um, climate controlled cab on a thousand acres. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I think it just deters a lot of people. I mean, I know it deterred me and probably Jared for years to start food plots and even habitat work, but I mean, really, kind of like you, we, we've been getting by with maybe 500 to to $1,000 worth of equipment. I mean, our, our first four-wheeler we bought was $400. Right. Yeah, we uh, we bought that, and what, you, you went to Lansing and threw that disc in the back of your Ford Focus or no Fusion, so we had the, we had this little <laughs> baby awesome. disc and uh, hey, no, it was my work car, so go easy. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. <laughs> and, oh no, what I had I had the disc and what else did I have in there? I uh, I think it's technically called the Cultivator. 
Yeah, the cultivator. It is. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. And yeah, <laughs> and then we were uh, so we we brought that out to the property and we're pulling this little disc and it probably only weighed like 50 pounds. It wasn't very heavy and it's just bouncing around and not doing anything. So I had to actually stand on the back of the disc on the frame on top while Jesse sat on the quad and literally like hold on <laughs> like you're riding a rodeo. And that's how we started. I mean, we had well, like 600 bucks into the whole thing at that point. It yeah. Was, and, you know, I love that. I would have stood on the back because I weigh a lot more. I'm almost 300 pounds, but the four-wheeler was only 200, so I don't think it could have pulled my fat ass without <laughs> blowing the tranny up. So, luckily, I got to be the driver, so it was, it was nice. Great. And you guys are dedicated. That, that's what I like to hear. Take no for an answer and get it done by all means necessary. <laughs> and, you have, and you have fun while you're doing it, you know. Oh, oh, for I sure. like the way you spun that, Brian. It sounds much better when you say it. <laughs> so so what what other um equipment did you find necessary um when you were starting out like okay so you got you got something to tear up the ground or what else did you find was was necessary a chainsaw 100 percent, the number one best tool for habitat management before you can do anything else if I if I I could only have one tool, it'd definitely be a chainsaw. How do you put it in food plots with a chainsaw? Well, you go into a stand of maples <laughs> and you hinge cut as many as you can and bring all that food that's up sixty feet in the air and bring it all down to the deer's level. But boom, you got the food plot. I'm uh, just being a smartass, and you actually had a good answer. Nice work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jake. Uh, Ellinger, or I'm sorry, Ellinger on the last podcast was telling us the same thing, um, just a lot about hinge cutting. But So you had your chainsaw. You must not be the only guy who thinks that's a great idea. What did what did you first start out doing with your chainsaw? Well, in the areas where you see the deer uh, coming through, they're, they're edge animals, as everybody knows, and we read about and talk about all the time. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's not just because... They like the cover that goes with it, which they do, but that's where all their food's at, all the forbs, all the natural uh, growth, the stuff that grows naturally there for them to eat, the blackberries, mulberries, anything that can come up with the uh, with the sun that hits it. And without the sun, it's not going to be able to come up for them. No, that's a good point. Um, did you also do any sort of interior food plotting with actual equipment uh, besides the, the natural browse and the forbs and whatnot that you were letting grow up? Yeah, early on I would, I would start that with the uh, easy stuff like we talked about. Okay. And then I discovered that uh, you could even broadcast soybeans. And I was like, okay. So I got I got enough sunlight coming in here now. I got getting up towards a half acre here. Maybe I could try some soybeans. Those can do pretty well broadcasted. But that's, that's the thing you got to – do a little research on some things you could just pitch out and they'll sprout and grow fine and other things have to be planted at a certain depth and you're just going to bang your head against the wall. Okay. And and to that point, how much sunlight do you think, um, if you're standing in the woods and you look up and you're trying to put a food pot in the woods, what do you want to see? I mean, wide open is obviously preferred, but 
like a partially shaded area, is that going to do a bunch of damage for you, or the chainsaw, you just get rid of the trees? Yeah, you, especially on your uh, south edge of your food plot, where the where the sun's going to be blocked the most, you want to try to clear out as much as that as you possibly can. Okay. I, I used to get hung up with that when I was starting out, and guys would say, well, you need four to six hours of sunlight on it. Well, who's going to be able to figure that out? You know, just... Just get the damn thing as, as open as you can, and uh, the, the more sun, the better. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Jesse, you got any other questions on um, equipment? I mean, the only thing, I, I don't know if we want to get into, like, uh, sprayers or maybe cultivators packers or anything like that. Well, yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask, Brian, you know, because we learned a valuable lesson this year because we uh, picked up a real nice cultivator packer. And it made a world of difference as far as actually getting the seed to penetrate in the soil and how it came up. I mean, did you, do you use a culture packer or what what techniques do you use? Because I know when we first started out, we were, we were just running over the food plot with the four-wheeler tires. And I mean, it worked. It got it done. But the culture packer made a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah, on, on that uh, DR piece of equipment I was telling you about, I did have a call to packer on that, and it is incredible. And, and like you said, you do the same thing with your ATV tires or your tractor tires. And currently, I've been trying to find one for my bigger tractor, and I've just I don't understand what it is. Even these old rusty ones you'll find on Craigslist, they want five, six, seven hundred dollars for them, and you're like, ah, I could use that for something else right now. I'll just keep running it over with my tractor tires. Yep. But yeah, that makes that makes a big difference because the call to packer not only uh, pushes the seed down and gives you a better seed-to-soil contact, but what else it's right, doing yeah. is it's it's uh, you'll notice some of those cultivators packers will have either like a blade on the end or even slotted teeth, and that's keeping the water evened out when it rains, so it's not just washing all your seed away, and it's keeping the moisture in the ground longer too. Yeah, yeah no, that, that makes total sense. Jared, wasn't there uh, – didn't Outdoor Devotion just share a nice cultipacker for a pretty reasonable price I saw on their page? Yeah. Um, Lincoln Roan from the Michigan Deer Hunters, Let Him Go, Let Him Grow page. He's a buddy of the ours. Packer Max. Yeah, he actually bought that business, Jess. He bought um, – I think it's Best Outdoors. They make something called the Packer Max with two Packer X's. Ma- Packer Max, yep. And, uh, They're not even that difficult to build if you have the time. And I've, I've some instructions. Some guys come up with some really innovative things for building cultivators. packers. It's just a matter of finding the time to do it. Yeah, and having the fab, fab uh, tools and welders, things like that. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I haven't looked up how much those Packer Maxes cost yet, but they seem pretty nice for, well, maybe more like guys like us with the uh, quads and, ATVs and whatnot, but um, I don't know if they have one for the tractor or not. I have to take a look at that and let you know, Brian. But Definitely. Well, I see a lot of guys, you know, that will find a couple four-footers, you know, I'm talking old old packers and kind of cut, chop, and weld them together to make a nice eight-footer. I find right. that done a lot. Definitely. And guys will even buy the bigger ones, too, like the 16-footers and cut them down to their needs. I couldn't imagine trying to get one of those into a truck or a trailer. <laughs> no, 
No, but you know, you're you're right. You're you made a good point because a lot of times you can buy the bigger ones for cheaper because there's not a big market for them. You know, right? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Now, do you do you use any four wheelers or quads or side by sides or strictly your tractor? Yeah, I have a side by side. That's what I do all my spring with. It's, okay. it's real convenient to uh, put the tailgate down, and I got a uh, I think it's a 30 or 35 gallon spray from Tractor Supply, which is pretty reasonable. And as long as you keep the pump out of the weather when it gets cold, so it doesn't freeze and bust anything up, it I've had it for a few years now, and it does a great job. It has the uh, telescoping booms on it, so you could uh, make them as far out wide as you want or as close as you want. Nice. Yeah. Now, what what kind of chemicals are you using to knock down your weeds? I just use generic glyphosate, which is just a fancy generic name for Roundup. Yeah. Yeah, same here. We uh, we actually just got a Royal King opened up, which I think they were out west. So it's – I don't know if you have them by you, but it's – Yeah, it's a great store. They even sell um, – seed corn which is hard to find in, in a lot of places yeah and it's i always explain it to my buddies who've never been there it's like if you took a tractor supply a home depot and a walmart and they all had a baby together yeah they have great way to everything put it. It, it, it's I, I love going in there and my, my kid loves going in there just to check out the bunnies and rabbits but pretty cool that's pretty cool store sure is but so now I was kind of Facebook creeping you and checking out some pictures of your farm, <laughs> <laughs> and it looks like you've been doing some habitat with planting trees. Can you kind of yes. dive into that and what kind of species are you planting? Fruit trees, oak trees, and uh, yeah, let's start off with that. Absolutely. Um, we're all not getting any younger, and we know how long it takes trees to grow. So that's that's one of the things I'd recommend for anybody just buying a property. A lot of times guys will buy property, you know, in the spring or even the fall, and they're like, man, I don't have time to get anything going here. Well, get the trees in as fast as you can and buy the biggest and the best ones that you can afford. Now, when I say that, the best is relative because – you could go to Home Depot or Lowe's and you'll see this 10-foot tree sticking out of a two-gallon pot, and you're like, oh, this thing's got to be incredible. Well, they can be and they can't be. There's there's a lot more to it than just what the size of them are. There's a guy that I use. His name's Chris. He has a uh, tree nursery in uh, – I don't want to screw this up. I think it's – I want to say it's Nebraska, but I might be wrong. But it's Turkey Creek Trees. He's on Facebook. Um, you just search Turkey Creek trees, and he takes rootstock that is faster and healthier than the normal rootstock that might come on an apple tree or a chestnut tree, and he puts the different rootstock on it, and you'll have fruit within, you know, two or three years. I think the one apple tree that he shipped to me, it was it was maybe only four foot tall, but it was about three-quarters of an inch thick. And that thing had an apple on it first fall. Really? Yes. Uh, wow. So, so he, that is what that he's is very interesting. These trees. He's shipping so he's the trees. Shipping these. Okay. 
Yep, because what they do is they prune all the branches off them. So basically, you're getting like a three-quarter inch stick with roots on it. Yeah. But you can't believe how fast these things grow. It's unbelievable. Within, you know, the middle of summer, it's got branches all off of it and leaves everywhere and just the the, the special rootstock that he uses. And I and I'm no expert on the rootstock. There's different kinds that they can use. They have different names. And uh, what does, what does knows, rootstock mean? Do you know rootstock? I don't know what that means. Do you? Yeah, I'll, uh, I can fill you in a little bit on that. Like, if you were to go out into your farm and you see an oak tree growing there, just a little sapling, and you dig it up, and it's got roots on it, that's just that's the rootstock that nature gave that tree. Okay. And so what they'll do is they'll take a faster-growing, healthier rootstock in, in, in the uh, instance of apple trees, and they'll uh, graft that apple tree, whatever variety that you want or whatever variety they recommend, they'll graft it. I don't know if you're familiar with grafting. They'll yes. cut the bark and cut through the wood at a certain angle and attach it to the, the uh, wood that's left on the roots of the new rootstock, and they'll grow together, and it grows a lot faster. Wow. And that's the down and dirty version of it. I mean, there's a yeah. lot more that goes into it, and I leave that to those experts, but uh, that, that's the simple version of it. Well, I just looked it up on Google, and it referred me to Wikipedia, and I like your version a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I mean, is it a rootstock from another apple tree, or is it rootstock from, I mean, it's probably another apple tree, right? Or is it a whole different? Right. Okay. Right. okay. And then, uh, so Turkey Creek. So how how tall are these trees, and what are they running for price, if you don't mind, for some of these different um, apple trees? Like, the reason I ask is because uh, I actually bought, I think, six from, no, five from Home Depot last fall, so I was waiting for you to say they suck. And uh, I went out there and planted them with the kids, um, and they seem to be doing okay so far, but uh, I don't don't expect fruit in year one by any means. So that you got me my interest peak there. They don't suck for sure. I mean at least you're you're doing something, you're being proactive and you're putting something down. But the problem is you don't know what the rootstock is. You don't know nope. what the actual variety is. They might slap a tag on there that says, you know, apple tree and have a picture of a uh, uh, red apple, but it could be, you know, a red delicious, it could be a enterprise, who right. knows what, what the what the variety is and that that brings up a whole another subject of when do you want your apples to drop? Apple trees drop different months of the year. You you want to stagger them out, and that's what Chris can help you do. He'll get you apples dropping from crab apples in July to August, September, October, November. You can have apples dropping in the rut to keep the does around. It's just wow. That's that's the great thing about talking to somebody that knows what they're doing. Yeah, and they'll they'll hook you up. Okay, now, but the, let me ask you this. Brian, um, I I haven't planted trees at all, but I've heard everyone talk about as far as when you're planting fruit trees, apple trees, that you need to have the right ratio of like females to males so they can germinate each other and actually grow fruit. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I think that's more if you're doing like a smaller scale where you're only planting a few trees, you want to make sure that you've got enough coverage, but you know, in, in my instance, and probably you guys would be the same as you go through this, i got so many apple trees now, 
you got, I've got crab apples, I've got regular apples, I've got feral apples that I found in the woods and freed them up. There's, there's plenty of pollinators around that are going to okay. keep all of those trees pollinated that you don't have to worry about it. And well, if they need to be germinated, how do they do that? <laughs> the trees themselves? No, Jesse called uh, the pollination germination, so I was giving him crap. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I had a few beers tonight. That's okay. Don't get caught up in the technical terms. That's that's another <laughs> thing, like you said, about things that scare people off. It, sometimes it can get so technical, and guys think, "Well, man, I I can't do that. I don't I don't I can't take on any of that stuff. Just dig in there and call it whatever you want to call it." Well, and the cool thing is, I mean, back in the day, you had to go to a nursery to get trees, but. I was in Costco last night, and they had pallets of apple trees for sale in Costco. Right. And, I I, I mean, I like the Kirkland brand, so maybe they're good trees. I don't know. <laughs> well, here's, here's the difference. They're, they're selling those for people's yards and people. We're trying to grow trees to feed deer and other critters. So that, that's yeah. that's the kind of the trade-off that you're getting. And the, and to answer Jared's question before I forget, before we get too much further down the road here, he's shipping these trees to me. Now, I don't want to paint him into a corner because I buy bulk off of them, and it's going to depend on your situation. But I'm getting these trees for normally under $20 a piece, and oh, they're guaranteed. Yeah, that's not much so, uh, much more than what I paid at Home Depot. So that's Right, that's and you're getting cool. a much – superior tree for less money and if it doesn't wake up when you plant it in the spring he'll send you he tells you he'll replace it with one but you end up getting a box with two or three extra in there wow and that very rarely very rarely happens i think out of 50 or whatever trees i've gotten off of them i may have had one or two that he had to replace and that was probably my fault not planting them the right way well, well, I, well, now that you mentioned awesome. his name, he has to give us a discount next time when we order. From <laughs> <him>. <laughs> no, that's uh, – I just learned something new. That's pretty awesome. Um, between the rootstock and the guarantee, I mean, it's really kind of a no-brainer. Um, Definitely. And, and I assume if you ordered right now, they don't ship them to you right now, right? You mean too cold? It's to coming up. It's okay. coming up. He, I think I usually start getting them. I've got an order in with them now. It should be here. I think, like, April, they usually start showing up. Okay. I'm going to have to check him out. That's awesome. Good good That's info cool. there, Brian. Nice. Yeah, very good. Now, sure. are you planting any other types of trees? I was uh, I was telling Jesse today on our intro, actually, the girls and I are walking around picking up uh, acorns, letting them soak for 24 hours. We planted 30 of them in pots tonight before we did this podcast, just having a good time, so... I don't know if yeah. uh, you guys are doing anything, any other types of trees, um, oaks or other fruit trees, mass trees. Now, you picked the acorns up that were sitting out all winter outside. Yeah, is that a bad idea? No, that's what you want. Especially, like, a lot of guys will pick up their white oaks in the fall, and then they'll keep them in their uh, garage for wow. All winter, and then they try to plant them in the spring, and they're like, nothing's happening. You actually have to put them in the refrigerator because that's nature's way of getting those ready for the spring. They have oh. to be cold for so long. 
Wow. Yeah, I saw some of that on the QDMA forum when you and I both used to be on there. Guys would put those, a lot of different um, tree species, I guess, that seemed to go in the fridge. I had no idea what they were doing, but that makes sense. Absolutely. You're kind of preserving it, I guess you could say. Yeah, Yeah, they call it, um, I think they call it, they need a certain amount of cold days that they have to be before they'll start sprouting uh, out of their seed. Okay. Yeah, these, uh, I found one that looked like it was starting to crack in the bottom of it, um, starting to sprout. So I'm like, oh, perfect. So we went and found a bunch of them and did the the float test. You know, if if an acorn floats, it's a bad one. If it sinks, it's a good one. So that's, the girls had a good time with that. And then uh, we planted them in little pots today. So those were all red oaks. Um, White oak would have been better i think cause the deer like that more but what else do you have going on in ohio you guys i assume you have oak trees but we never saw a bunch of them where we hunted yeah you know my farm it's they're very limited so when i find them i release them as fast as i can i, I just cut all the maples and the, that's the biggest the, the most amount of trees i have is uh, uh the maples that's definitely the majority and they're, they're pretty much useless. I mean, they're great when they're small. Like when I uh, hinge cut or stump cut them, all the sprouts that come up, the deer just hammer them. But once they're up above what the deer can get to, they're, they're pretty much useless for deer habitat. Okay. So I have to free as many oaks as I can find. And uh, getting back to the feral apples that I mentioned, you'd be surprised walking through some of your woodlots. If you just pay attention, you'll start to pick out those old apple trees. That might have been there from an old homestead or an old orchard or something, and you want to free them up. Like, you might see the same apple tree, and it looks like, oh, this thing's not producing. It's just sitting here. Well, as soon as you get that thing some sunlight, it's unbelievable how they'll load up with apples. Wow. Yeah, I uh, we walked my 15 acres a few times now, and I haven't seen any on there yet, but I've... I'm not that great at IDing every tree. I think I can pick out an apple. Um, there is one that's right on my neighbor's property that looks exactly like you just described. It's in the woods. It's got no sun. It's all mangly looking and old and right. no fruit. At least last fall didn't have fruit when I looked. and That'd be a good one to release probably. Definitely. Another thing I've been planting is chestnuts. And uh, I'm finally starting to get to the point where they've been in the ground now, I think. Oh, I guess they're going to be on their fourth year this year. And uh, I had a couple of uh, seeds on them last year, so I'm hoping this year to get a few more out of them. So chestnuts aren't more yeah. of a southern, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, climate, more of a southern climate type thing? They're, they'll do okay up here? They'll do great. The only problem is you have to go with the uh, Chinese variety, or they have a a new one that they've uh, done a hybrid with. It's called a Dunstan. You might have seen them either on the forums or uh, even at some of the shows. They're selling them for wildlife trees. Yeah, I've heard about but, them. But, uh, yeah, the, the north uh, part of the continent from here to, well, actually from the Atlantic to over where you guys are at, was loaded with American chestnuts for Years and years and years, and then they caught the blight, and they all went away. Really? Yeah. Like all, like every single one? Like uh, the ash borer we pretty have Pretty much, here? pretty much. I mean, guys, they'll find them now, 
and they're smaller in the in the different uh, forests around the northeast. But normally they'll only grow so tall before they get the blight again, and then they die off, and then they'll sprout, uh, sprout back from the roots again, and they just can't handle the, the blight that's here now. Oh, interesting. And but uh, you, you'll see a lot of old barns. Oh, go ahead. You'll see a lot of old barns around uh, the country that are all made out of chestnut, chestnut beans, chestnut uh, planks, and all kind of stuff. They, they were everywhere back in the day. Really? So are yours producing yet or not yet? Not yet. Like I said, I got a few that started to uh, seed out last year. Okay. So I'm hoping I'm hoping this year to have a few more on there. And uh, crab apples too. I'm big on crab apples. I've been planting a lot of them. And and I plant white oaks because I just don't have many. And pines. Pines are good for uh, thermal cover, wind breaks, uh, breaking up the, the line of sight if you've got a road like I do, a road that comes through the front of your farm. Yeah, nice natural screen. Right. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some more of that. Are you using uh, Norway spruce trees, or what's your choice? Yeah, that's a great one. That would probably be my number one to go to. Okay. And it depends on your area, like uh, – and I spent, my buddy and I spent like three days, we planted probably 500 red pines because everybody said, oh, the deer don't touch those things. <laughs> they ate every one of them. Oh, no. <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> three days. Yep. And that's that's one of those things you learn going off subject a little bit. Like every region is different. Like what works for a guy in Ohio might not work for a guy in Michigan, or what works for a guy in Georgia might not work for a guy in Missouri. You just have to do some trial and error. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. No, and that's it's like those damn uh, turnips. Like down in my old 25 acres, I couldn't plant enough turnips. Those deer just mow them down. Up up where I'm at now, these deer are like, we've been eating corn and soybeans, man. We're not eating those things out of the ground. They <laughs> just walk by them. Really? But I keep planting them because they're so cheap. I figure eventually maybe they'll get a taste for them. I don't know. I've heard that happening, um, eventually getting a taste for them. And, you know, it also gives you the uh, – breaks up the ground for you a little bit too, which is nice. Absolutely. Um, so, Brian, that, that kind of got me into the, my next question. You know, you're talking about turnips. And as far as, like, food plot seed goes – I mean, what kind of seed are you buying? Where are you getting it from? Because, you know, the average hunter, you can walk into Myers, Walmart, Tractor Supply, Cabela's, and there's so many, like, quote-unquote designer seeds out there, you know, the big-name seeds. But then, you know, you can go to your local seed store and get seeds. Sure. I mean, what kind of route are you taking? Or uh, what's worked the best for you? I started out like everybody else with the smaller plots. You know, if you're only planting an eighth of an acre or a sixteenth of an acre, there's nothing wrong with going and buying a ten or fifteen dollar bag of uh, fancy stuff at the sporting goods store. It works great. Those guys spend a lot of time and money uh, researching and putting different blends together. But uh, on the flip side of it, and you start to get a little bit bigger and you're planting more, uh, I like to use what the farmers use. I have a local yeah. place called uh, Ernst Seeds, E-R-N-S-T, 
out of Meadville, Pennsylvania, which is right on the border of Ohio and Pennsylvania. Their stuff is so reasonable, and it's it's proven. It's proven seed, and that's that's all I use at my farm now. Well, and, you know, because I've heard stories of guys buying seed off the shelf and say, say it's clover, for instance, and I've heard a lot of these companies, and I can talk about this. I used to be in the fertilizing industry, and I know, you know, your Scots or your your big-name companies off the brand, they would use a lot of filler products. So you can get us a discount on fertilizers, that's what you're saying? <laughs> well, I used to. You know, it's funny. Actually, I, he used I, to. I sold, Man, that stuff I sold is so my, expensive nowadays. Oh, you know, I, I sold my fertilizing company, uh, well, it's been probably four years now. I still have an open account. So as far as, like, urea, nitrogen, and the weed killer, I can still get it at a decent price. But obviously, I don't buy in bulk anymore. I used to buy train loads of it. But um, right, right. But what I've noticed is I've I've heard guys say, you know, I, I bought this stuff from Cabela's or Dick Sporting Goods, and you know, all I get is weeds. And it seems like they have a lot of filler product. You know, it might only be twenty five percent clover instead of eighty or hundred percent. Right, right, and it's and it's hard to figure out what went wrong because there's so many variables, you know, like we talked exactly. about with, with the pH and how did they plant it and did they get enough soil contact? So it's, it's hard to blame the seed. Like I know the, the guys at Whitetail Institute, I've used a lot of their products. They're great products. They put a lot of time and money into research and everything. And it's, it's a great product. There's nothing wrong with using anything that they make or any of these other companies. It's just, you know, convenience-wise, I don't have to pay shipping. I can stop at this place on my way in. It's local seed. They only sell the stuff that they know is going to grow here, and it works fine. It's it's sort of one of those things, six of one, half dozen the other. It's just all a matter of preference. Yeah, okay. and, and, you know, we uh, we do the same thing. We, we started using a local seed company in Fowlerville, and they've been great. And then we've also been turned on to killer food plot seed, uh, we met them through the hunting channel and just different avenues. We we met them, and their seed's been working great for us. So Yeah, I've used some I of that before. It, That's a good company. Yeah, and I think it's kind of one of those things, you know, you find something that works, you stick with it, you know. Right. And, and the nice thing is, like, uh, a, a local place, you could stop in and say, hey, I planted this, and this is what happened, and the, the people there are going to tell you, okay, and they're going to get – figure out a solution as to why you know we're yeah. oftentimes you can't do that with some of these places that you have it shipped to you i mean you could call again i hate to keep throwing out white tail institute but they're fantastic they have an 800 number you call a human being picks up the phone every time and you ask a question and they got an answer for you well the nice thing going the local guy you might be able to meet the farmer's daughter too you know <laughs> <laughs> That's good for all them single guys out there. I got I got three girls in my house now. I can't afford any more. No, me either. I got a wife and kids, but you can always you can always think and dream. <laughs> Have fun. I like it. Oh, I like it. Good thing good thing my wife doesn't like or listen to hunting podcasts, so we're good. Yeah, I think I think we're safe there. <laughs> But yeah, there's lots of options out there for seed. Uh, one thing that I learned early on, I wanted to plant 
everything under the sun. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have That was my next best, question. Nice job, Brian. The best variety, the best this, the best that. And you just you start to realize real quickly that we're not doing this for a living. We don't have the, the luxury of going out there every day and being able to plant ABC. And then once it's planted, you got to fertilize it. you got to spray it. you got to take care of it. And I learned early on that, and, and I know this is a controversial subject with the Roundup, and some people don't want to use it, some don't. I was actually on the side of, I'm going to try to limit as much herbicide as I can. I don't want to be spraying that stuff everywhere if I don't have to be. But it's just for guys like us that only have, you know, the weekends or maybe two weekends a month, you got to get up there and take care of these crops. It, it makes a huge difference in, in using that type of product. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's a lot of people are all natural, and, and I learned this when I used to own my fertilizing company. I mean, you would, you would get companies that advertise, oh, we're all organic. Well, then the customer would call us and say, why do I have weeds? Well, you need something to kill it, and it's not going to be organically. Yeah. So it's it's feature own. Um, and, yeah, of course, environmental-wise, yes, yeah, it's, it's nice to tone down on it, but it, it works great, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, there's we have to use um, glyphosate. I mean, even I did a double application last uh, summer getting ready for August planting, and some of these weeds, they still didn't die. And I mixed, yeah. I mixed a heavy dose, and so I don't know. I appreciate those guys who can do the, the crimp and no-till and what do they call it, mow, mow and grow or something like that, yep. all those different techniques, that's pretty awesome. I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but, yeah, it's, uh, glyphosate seems to work for us, too. Yep, that, that's a good point, and, and uh, like we are talking about using what works for you, I'm still dragging a five-foot tiller behind me, tilling everything up, and people will turn their eyebrows up and go, you know, you could be doing that a different way. Well, I was looking at these, you know, $10,000 no-till cedars, they're great. But I just don't have the time and money to do all that right now, so I'll yeah. keep doing what works for me. Yeah. Now, is there a well, place again, you could rent I'll, one near you, some sort of uh, Pheasants Forever or something like that, or haven't you looked into that? Or You know, I did look into it, and I was just never able to find yeah. anybody around close enough, so I just sort of gave up on it. But eventually I'm going to get one. I, I saw that they're making like four- and five-footers now that are starting to get more economical, but they're still in that four to $5,000 range, and I just can't justify right now, but someday I'm going to get one. That's awesome. You have to drive up to Michigan and help us out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, no, I, anyways, uh, thanks for that. That's all good info on um, on seed choices. I mean, I think uh, next, I think we should get into, I want to couple, cover a couple more things before we wrap this up. Um, one is, like you mentioned in your introduction about how you came from hunting hilly country and now you're hunting flat country. Um, and the other thing I want to uh, cover is your cheap, fast, and comfortable shed cabin you have on your property. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's that's the fun project. Which I'll, I'll set that real quick, um, and we can go to the the hunting side of things. Tell us about your your uh, grand hotel you have on your 40. 
Well, when I bought the 40, there was nothing on it, not even a driveway, just a just a little dirt track for farm equipment to get in and out of there. So it got old running back and forth to town, staying at the hotel and expensive. And, uh, man, I got to get a, a, a cheap, fast, and comfortable place up here so I can start spending the night and enjoying this place a lot more. Um I come from a construction background. My grandfather built houses. My dad had a construction company. So I'm fortunate to be able to have a little bit of dangerous knowledge on how to do most of that stuff and the nice. tools. And so I decided to stick build a, a 12 by 12 shed. And, and how it all started was I was going to put a 12 by 12 shed in, have a place to park my side by side, and then put a loft upstairs to sleep in. Well, that all sounded well and good until you start thinking, do I really want to be pulling in a stinky gas-smelling side-by-side and, and trying to <laughs> yeah. sleep upstairs and then keep my clothes, my hunting clothes, from smelling. And So it quickly turned into a, a, a nice little cabin. So uh, doing the 12 by 12 made it nice because you get eight-foot sheets of plywood or uh, even that barn siding, uh, just a sheet and a half, and you got the whole thing covered on one side. And that just made the calculations and the construction real quick. I think so now where do you park your side-by-side? <laughs> I didn't hear you. I said, now where do you uh, park your side-by-side? Well, there's a uh, shed company not far from my house here on the main road. They sell, like, uh, different types of sheds and gazebos and all that good stuff. Well, I was driving by there two years ago and there was this big 24 by 24 metal garage sitting there with two garage doors like a pole barn yeah. i'm like man that that sounds that looks like an odd thing to be selling at like a shed place so i i pulled in there one day and i was talking to the guy he goes yeah he says uh 3500 bucks they'll put them up anywhere wow. in the country they got crews all over the countries i'm like take my money so really? uh they, they come up and Within like six hours, they had the thing done. It's all it's all metal. To, instead of using the wooden poles like they do for a pole barn, it's just all metal now. Through the um, metal siding on, which is just like metal roofing, and uh, got the garage doors in. Now I went without the without any windows or anything, but you can get windows and doors. You can even frame those out inside and insulate them for a cabin if you want. That sounds pretty. Jared, awesome I'm guessing you're. Jared, your head is turning right now. Yeah, I got some some gears ticking up there. That's, yeah, a, that's, that's a good uh, price, and I mean they're they're uh, called HBO Carports is the company that makes them and puts them up all over the country. Now there's dealers all over the place, but you can go on their website and probably find a local dealer that has them. Yeah, I'm definitely not above living in a carport. No, definitely not. <laughs> They're pretty we've, sweet, uh, man. We've in some pretty uh, bad hotels in uh, Ohio. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'd take a carport over Southern Ohio hotels any day. <laughs> yeah, that sounds Yeah, but if you, get it, cool. if you get it framed out and sealed up and get some uh, either some uh, knotted pine inside or some drywall, you won't even notice you're in there. Seriously. And you got a, a stove in there, too, right? Yes, I have a uh, 10 by 12 
canvas wall tent that I have for hunting out west, and oh. I bought the stove for that, and that thing has just been sitting in my shed except when I go on trips. So I thought, you know, I might as well put it in service in the cabin, and it works great. That's awesome. So you got a place to come back after the hunt, have a bonfire or whatever, have a few bush lights, retire. Oh, man, you ought to, you know. you ought to see it now. I got solar panels on the roof, so I got electric. Plug your cell phones in, plug yeah. your laptops in. And then I got a 300-gallon uh, water tote that I collect the rainwater in. And uh, with the solar, I got a uh, pump set up so you can take showers and fill up the sprayers and everything. Jeez, that's awesome. You'll, you'll have to send us some fancy. pictures so we can post them so our uh, listeners can see your setup and get some yeah, ideas. Yeah, definitely will. That's a good idea, Jess. Yeah, that's uh you're getting kind of fancy there, Brian. I mean, it is, and you it still is drink Bush fancy. Light, which is why I like you. And that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, now that's that's really cool. You got you got a place to get out. I mean, you bring your kids up there too, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. My oldest daughter's getting ready to be driving here, so that's that's good practice on that side by side. Oh yeah, awesome, man. Well, yeah. Let's get some pictures of that up. That's that's really cool. I know when I saw pictures way back when on the forum. I just, yeah, that's what I want someday. That's freaking sweet. Uh, my buddy Chris that hunts with me up there, he, he says, I'm going back to the shed. I'm like, it's not a shed, man. It's a cabin. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> He'll appreciate that if he gets around and listen to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah, he is. Now, so now are you worried at all as far as, like, deer pressure um, staying on? Because, I mean, 40 acres isn't huge, but it's big enough. I mean, are you worried about deer pressure when you're staying on the property or having a campfire or anything like that? No. The way that my farm lays out, it's a rectangle. So when you pull okay. off when you pull off into the driveway, that would be the southeast corner. And all okay. my wind comes normally, normally comes from the west or the north. And the cabin is just a few hundred feet off the road in that corner. So it, it really doesn't have any effect on the deer. But yeah, that's that's a good thing to consider if you're planning on putting a cabin up. You want to consider all that. Yeah, yeah, because I know, like, I'm, Jared, on your 15 acres, um, you know, we've we've talked about where to put a little place, and it, it's always it you know, if you too, really want to or yeah, you or it might do more damage than good. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, then again, you know, opening day uh, up north, that my family cabin we had that deer walk right in front of the front door you know yeah yeah, yeah. i was just going to say here in the suburbs of pittsburgh we got guys shooting them out of trees or out of uh swing sets so <laughs> just them what they get used to i guess <laughs> yeah right if they get used to it then yeah exactly all right well thanks for that little tour there that was awesome um let's get into the different type of hunting you're dealing with now see we always we've grown up hunting flatland um and not saying man i gotta get you guys down there to show some tips yeah well we'd love to come down um not that we know what we're yeah you don't let me finish not that we know what we're doing exactly on the flatland um we do okay (laughs) but um yeah so explain you so when you say pa the foothills of the appalachians you're hunting Rolling Hills, probably like Southern Ohio is. And yeah, definitely, exactly like that. Okay, and you're so uh, so we know what that is. That is definitely very different to us 
Um, yes. And then, hundred oh, percent. Yeah. So then you're hunting now, or, or your your farm now is what kind of more like what we're used to. How are you dealing with that? And how is habitat helping you um, cope with the change? Well, that's a uh, ongoing learning process for me up there for sure. Uh, what we've been trying to do is is set it up so there's wildlife openings, and when I say that uh, wildlife opening, you'll go in and cut maybe an acre of the uh, timber down just to let the sunlight grow and get it a little thick, have a place for the deer to bed. And what they what they say they'll do is if you get some of those in a in a line and then put some food plots in between some of those wildlife openings and then run it to a sanctuary and kind of weave a trail, and the theory is that the deer will use that more often because it's constant cover and food and it's, it's keeping them in a line of movement that you can make more predictable in a place that's just open and that they can go anywhere, if that makes sense. Yeah, it actually makes perfect sense, and the gears are turning again. Um, okay, so now are you are you making like um, hinge cut bedding areas in these openings? Or are you talking get rid of the trees uh, and have the more like a, a food source than a cover source? It depends on what your end game is for that spot. You obviously don't want to put a bedding area where you can't make it advantageous for you as a hunter. True. So if it's, a, if it's in a place where you're going to be accessing it or going by there, you just want to have an opening. But sometimes they're interchangeable. Sometimes you'll do a cut in hopes that it'll be one thing, and then the deer will decide, well, that's something else to us. And you're thinking, well, why the hell are they bedding there? Well, that's just what they do sometimes. But the idea is you want to try to set it up to whatever – your situation is for wind and access and where you want the deer to be. Okay. Okay. And is that working for you so far? Yeah, it's it's made a huge difference. In fact, uh, the, the soybean plot that I had in the back five-acre opening, well, I guess we had about just a little over an acre of soybeans, maybe a little bit more. Uh, one of our target bucks was coming in there almost every night. And we were actually disciplined for a change, which is rare, and stayed <laughs> out of there. <laughs> you know, you put all this work in, and you're like, man, I got I got to hunt this. I got all this money and time. I got to go hunt on opening day. Oh, well, we yeah. stayed out of the farm. I think we finished up, and this is what I try to do every year. I try to be done at the end of August and stay off the farm all of September and then dump do any hunting until that first cold front of, of October, Okay. which we did this year, and I shot a doe at like 5 o'clock, and almost exactly an hour later, splits came out to one of our target bucks, and just like everything you read about and everything you see on TV, like wait for the cold front, have the right access, have the right wind, and here he comes. He comes out in the bow range, but the unfortunate part was he came out a little bit too far to my right, and I couldn't get a shot through all the maple trees, that area where he came out into the corner of the field. But it worked like clockwork, and it, it's like, holy heck, it's nice to see all the stuff that we're doing is actually starting to work now. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And how big a deer is that? What uh, what 
what um I lost my train of thought. How uh, how big of a cold front was it? How big was he? And I'll think of the other question I had in a second. I think it dropped about 10 or 15 degrees. Oh, the date. What date was that? Oh, I'd have to look it up. I want to say it was like the 15th or 16th of October, whenever that first one come through the Midwest there. Okay, awesome. And every everybody that I showed the uh, pictures to, that know a lot more about scoring than me, put them somewhere in the 140s. Wow, beautiful deer. Definitely. And he had drop time, split brows, split beams. He had, he had it all going on, too. And uh, hopefully he'll still be there next year. Wow. Now, were you shaking like a leaf or what? Yeah, at first I was, but I, was, I, I calmed down pretty quick because you're sitting there. You know, we all do this a million times. You're like, okay, you should come this way. This is what he's been doing. And But to actually have him do it, you're like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> it's cool to see this all going like it's supposed to. But you have to do your part because normally, like I said, I just barrel. I'm like, oh, I'm hunting. It's opening day. I'm getting in there. Yeah. But, you know, I'm starting to learn now. Take it easy. Pick your moments. And uh, it's getting better every year. No, I I can't you know agree I with you more on that. I really can't. I uh I stayed out of my property. We stayed out of my property till I think the 26th or 27th was the first day of October on a big cold front, and I had a nice um or two and a half, probably two and a half year old eight point coming under my tree. I had just a beautiful night. I mean, and it it pays off. You you know people. With all this habitat work, if you go walking through it all the time, it's really what's the point. So that's a that's a good tip there. Definitely. Well, and this this is kind of weird to say, but because probably the last two years, I really started hunting cold fronts, and 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 then I realized, you know, instead of hunting thirty sits, maybe I was only getting fifteen, eighteen sits in. But you don't you don't feel as bad because you know, when, when when you hunt opening day and you hunt 10 days in a row and you're not seeing the, the good buck, you know, you start getting down on yourself. And, and it really takes a toll on you. But when you start waiting for the right moments to hunt, the cold fronts, the wind direction, you know, I think you better your odds. And I see more deer. So it's almost a – it's a fun way to hunt. Yeah, well for said. Sure. For sure. And your wife uh... – isn't as mad at you as she would be normally. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really it's really hard on a nice fifty degree, sixty degree October day. You know, the leaves are changing colors, and you're at the apple orchard with your wife, or you're shopping, and you're thinking, "Wow, I could be sitting in the tree right now." But you know, you, then you look at your app, and the wind's wind's not right for your farm, and you suck it up, and you you wait. Yeah. I just looked up the picture. The old mine isn't going yet. It was October 16th when I killed that doe. So oh, that nice, nice job. <laughs> nice job. So what uh, what other plans do you have this next, this year, this year, um, to to maybe improve on or maybe switch or, or something to put splits in the back of your truck? Well, just more of the same, really. Okay. Uh, just trying to trying to get as much food 
back there as I can. Like the soybeans were fantastic. They ate them uh, all the way till they turned yellow, and then they were back in them again in the late season. And I had planted corn, which didn't do very good. The stuff that, that did do good got tore up pretty quickly. So I'm hoping to have some corn back there for them this year just to keep them a little bit tighter, a little bit longer. And the uh, last couple of years, I've been working with uh, Eric Long from Drumming Log Wildlife Management. I got to a point where I started questioning a lot of the stuff I was doing. And I was like, should I, should I put this cut here? Should I put this plot here? And it's like, Ah, I don't know. I got a buddy that's got 60 acres in uh, eastern Ohio also, and I didn't even know that he had consulted with Eric. I just went to his farm a few times, and the, the caliber of deer that he's killing was just unbelievable. So I was bouncing all this stuff off of him. He was like, why don't you give Eric Long a call? I'm like, okay. I've, I've seen that guy. He, he won the Quality Deer Management Association Habitat Manager of the Year Award, and Oh, he goes, awesome. yeah. He goes, he goes. When I bought my sixty here, I, I hired him right away, so I didn't do anything stupid. And I thought, yeah, okay, I probably can't afford the guy, you know. So yeah. I gave him a call, and I, I tell you what, it's super reasonable for the for less than what I pay in property taxes. He come up with this incredible plan, and I got a bunch of hunt terror maps with all his uh, plans laid out on them. That you know, even a even an old hillbilly like me can follow. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I remember, I think he was on Mark Kenyon's podcast um, Yeah. a while back, and I was impressed. He, he's a well, habitat consultant, right? He draws up a plan right. for you and get the Definitely. property tour, the whole thing. Okay, that's awesome. He can do as much or as little as you want. I mean, he's got oh, clients okay. that he'll fly to Missouri and get on a tractor and do stuff for him. It just depends on what your goals are. You know, I just needed a little bit of uh, confidence and yeah. say, okay, this guy's seen a million properties and he knows what's best for this situation, so let's let's give it a shot. And couple that with my buddy that kills, you know, 140s, 150s every year with a bow on his farm. I'm like, well, something's going right here. you got to pay attention to these guys that are doing stuff like that. So that actually you made me – think of a question I always ask myself wondering if and when I should do the same thing um, Jesse and I have been talking about this um, how far off base were you once you talked to Eric how were you already doing the right things or were you like dang I'm glad he showed up well I think I was on the right track I just didn't have a fine tune to where it needed to be Okay. and uh, it, it, it's tough to get a to get a read on it like a couple of the things that i did i'd say what do you think about this here and he's like well it, it's fine the way it is because i don't know if i would have done it that way so you don't know maybe he's just being nice because he's a hell of a nice guy but <laughs> yeah i don't think i was too far off i mean he he did the same thing that i was thinking about having a rectangle and you want to keep the the deer moving and you always want to have them having something to move forward for because we know deer they don't just park in an area and then spend the whole evening there right you know they'll they'll browse a little bit walk down a trail browse a little more and walk down the trail so you want to have something for them all throughout your property and you and there's got to be a method to the madness to make it predictable enough especially in flat country like mine so you can set up on them that makes perfect sense 
Awesome. Well, uh, do you have any aerial pictures you'd want to maybe show? Um, maybe just like a, a picture of your property so we can all get an idea from the podcast. I don't need the, the habitat plan and all that good stuff, obviously, but just like... You know, oh, no, that's, that's... If not... That'd I, be the best thing, actually. Just, I'll just send you a picture of the uh, Hunterra map because it, cool. it'll explain exactly what we were talking about. That way there's no confusion for anybody. Yeah, and, and don't, no, put, don't put any, your address. Yeah, don't put any road no, signs on there. No, no, no. There's yeah. no address and street names on yeah, there. Yeah, no street names. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Jesse, any other questions for Brian? I mean, we I got a lot of good information so far, and I just if you have anything else you want to hit. You know, Brian, what what I enjoy talking with you because you know you're you're the average Joe who. Just decided to go out there, had a vision, and start doing it, which, like, again, you know, I keep saying this, but I think that's what a lot of people are scared of. Um, You know, they don't know where to start. They don't know how to do it. But as long as you're out of your house and on your property doing something, I think you're in the right direction. And I think kind of your story showed that, which I really like. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. That's that's what I – reiterate to everybody listening you know don't be afraid there's there's nothing so technical out there that you can't do i mean obviously there's things that we don't farm for a living and we don't understand the nuances of everything but it doesn't take a brain surgeon to go out there and do any of the stuff that we do well it's kind of like a bad haircut you know it'll grow back you know absolutely (laughs) absolutely (laughs) (laughs) unless you start uh doing some controlled burns and burn your whole property down, you know, you might have a little issue. um, You just, I think, I think the moral of the story is you just got to get out there, start tearing up some ground, dropping some trees, making some paths and experimenting really. I mean, over the past two years, we've been experimenting and it's been a whirlwind just to see how the deer react to different scenarios you put in front of them. And that's your best teacher. Deer are going to tell you if what you're doing is working. It's it's that simple. Correct. Correct. Yep. Well, Brian, did you have anything else that you wanted to cover? No, I think we covered everything. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, I think it's a good idea for people to support organizations that do a lot for bow hunting and, and habitat management and just uh, a lot of the public land, too, that's starting to go away now. That's becoming a big issue. So if, if you can, if you have the means, uh, my company, Copperhead Unlimited, I work for the United Bow Hunters of Pennsylvania. They've done some amazing things for bow hunters in Pennsylvania. So I've supported them throughout the years. And, heck, I've been the editor of their magazine and doing a lot of their social media for the last five years or so. But I just encourage anybody to support their local bow hunting state bow hunting organizations and uh, don't forget about the public land organizations like the backcountry hunters and anglers they're doing a lot of great work to protect those lands for us because let's face it not everybody can have property and and even even with small properties like ours that we that we manage we can't hunt them every day i've got a four thousand acre public property five miles from my farm that i love to hunt I'm thankful it's there. I'm thankful there's organizations that have protected that over the years. So we need to keep that going. And uh, 
quality gear management also. QDMA is a great organization. Um, oh, yeah. That's, that's somebody you should probably get a hold of, Lindsey Grant, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Lindsey Thomas, uh, QDMA. He'd be a great guy to have on. Okay. I'm saying, I'm saying Lindsey Graham I'm watching too much Fox News. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think I'll have to do that, and, and this is all very well said, Brian. Um, definitely appreciate having you on tonight. Some of the lessons and information we learned is invaluable. So thanks again, sir. Uh, let's do this again soon, and uh, you know, let's keep in touch. All right, buddy. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Thanks, James. Yeah, we we thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Have a good night. All right, brother. Be safe. We'll you see too. you. Bye. Wow, that was a uh, that was good, man. I uh, Brian was a great guy. I think uh, tons of information. It was kind of cool to get his perspective hunting in a different state. Um, I know we've both been to Ohio. Um, we've really hunted the hills, but he was kind of in the flatland, but kind of cool to hear what he's doing and venturing out of state, um, which I think a lot of us don't even think about doing, um, but sounds pretty easy, easily done. Yeah, I mean, for you and I to buy property out of state, that's, that's crazy to think about right up front, but at the same time, he's got much better hunting, so, you know, Pennsylvania is a lot like Michigan in terms of pressure and so-so deer hunting, and I mean, obviously, there's parts in PA and Michigan that have great deer hunting too. But um, to just go out and buy land in another state, that's pretty cool. And uh, I liked hearing how he kind of grew up through all the different equipment changes. You know what I mean? We're still at like toddler stage, and <laughs> you know he's up there a little bit better with the tractor and the chiller and that whole deal. So, ton of great information. Um, I hope you listeners enjoyed it. I know we did. That's kind of the best part about this. Uh, we selfishly get to learn as well. So it's a pretty cool deal. Um, we just like to thank you guys for listening. If you want to hear more from us, we have a couple other episodes up at habitatpodcast.com. We also have a Facebook page um, where you can be directed to the website to check out the episodes. And then um, Apple iTunes or the, or the podcast app should have our episodes on there as of today. I haven't checked it yet, but uh, they've accepted the podcast, and we'll be getting them up there as soon as you post them on the website. So, uh, Jess, anything else? No, man. I'm just looking forward to our next guest. And, uh, yeah, man, I'll catch you on the flip side. All right. Later, brother. See ya. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.